Hello, nerds, and welcome. We are crossing the nerdverse. I am Travis, and joining me, as always, are Ryan and Eric. Ryan, how you been this week? Oh, this week has been been a journey. You know, one of those that I'm taking stress and I'm pouring it over my cereal in the morning. Um, actually, I had a day where I was getting ready to make breakfast for my girls, and one of them wanted apple butter on their toast. Which, awesome. And my brilliant move for that day, when the apple butter jar wouldn't open, which, it was in one of the mason jars, you know, it's got the ring on the top with the, the pliable metal. It wouldn't open. And my brilliant mind decided, well, I'm a big, strong person, I'm gonna go ahead and make it open. And so when I tried to do that, I ended up breaking the top off the jar and messing up my hand. To the point where I can't even use it hardly. It's been that kind of week. <laughs> Man, I am sorry to hear that. Hand injuries are no joke. Is it healing Indeed. up well? It's doing okay. It's been a few days. It looks a lot worse than it actually is, I think. So. Well, I'm glad it's on the mend. Eric, here's hoping your week has been better. So, I mean, I didn't have too much and everything crazy like Ryan did. Um, I spent a couple of days editing the first podcast. Um Messing around on our Twitter, getting some information out there, trying to trying to link up with other nerds and try to grow that. Yeah, than that I didn't yeah, it wasn't wasn't too crazy. Play a little no man's land. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it there, Travis. I can tell you I have spent my entire week looking forward to our topic of discussion. Considering <laughs> this one falls right into my wheelhouse. We are going to be talking about professional wrestling. More importantly, we're gonna be talking about Kayfabe. And the Mark Calloway fallout. So I will lead this in with a question, much like we did last time. If I said, what do you think of Mark Calloway? Are either one of you going to have any inkling of recognition in that regard? Um, yeah, absolutely. Mark Calloway. I mean, nobody nobody knows, knows him by Mark Calloway. To the point where I didn't know him as Mark Calloway up until probably, what, this year? Last year? That's the Undertaker. That's my boy. Um, I haven't. I don't have a lot of experience in in professional wrestling, so I'm also I'm very much looking forward to tonight. But you asked me about Mark Calloway, and I absolutely that gets me excited. You know, I watched the Undertaker for for a whole long time. You had plenty of opportunity. You're talking about a man whose career spanned decades. You're talking thirty plus years in the industry. You know, there's a reason they call him the Phenom. He had the WrestleMania streak. He had numerous titles. He was brought in at Survivor Series in the 1980s and wrestled all the way into the 2020s, which is a very long, very prestigious career. Considering, wow, yeah, considering the average lifespan of a professional wrestler is usually measured in maybe two decades, three on the very long end. Now you do have exceptions to the rule. Sometimes they have a tendency to outstay their prime. I'm probably going to catch a little bit of heat for this one. But Ric Flair needs to just stay retired. He's 70 years old. It's okay to hang up. Hulk Hogan. Actually officially retired. Not not even medically cleared to perform. He's actually about three and a half inches shorter than when he started his professional wrestling career. Because his back is in absolute shambles. Yeah, but he wrestled a little, little too long. Like... Well, just a little much. Hulk Hogan 
you know, so you ask me when it comes to professional wrestling, and there are three names that jump to the top of my my head. You know, it kind of in this order. First name I think of is the Undertaker, the, the King. I, I watched him like crazy. And then you hit Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan, he hit Travis. Help me out here. That was late seventies for Hogan. Late seventies uh, into the eighties, wrestled all the way to the mid two thousands, I believe. I think he may have had a couple of matches in the twenty tens, uh, but has since, of course, hung up the boots, not being medically cleared to perform. Remember when he was a pretty boy and had like hair? <laughs> Gonna have to go way back for that one. He was wrestling in Japan the last time there was any hair on the top of that man's head. Japan. That's what I mean. He was a pretty boy there, though. He was huge in Japan. A uh, little known fact. Uh, I believe it was IWGP. I'm not 100% on that. I don't know exactly which promotion it was. That one feels right intuitively. Huge, huge success in Japan. You're talking about a guy who basically just embodied that stereotypical appearance of a professional wrestler was super over did the thing where he ripped his shirt open there you go fired up by taking damage it ticked all the boxes for japanese audiences huge success in japan which we're gonna get into japan now that we brought that up a little later on so getting us back on track mark calloway the undertaker the phenom the dead man why is he so important to kayfabe? Well, from the moment he set foot in a ring, he maintained character. Nearly 40 years, Mark Calloway was exclusively known as The Undertaker. In interviews, in TV appearances, newspaper articles, on TV, off TV, fan meet and greets, you never met Mark Calloway, who played The Undertaker. You met Taker. So there was a lot of fallout when he got on Stone Cold's podcast. I believe it was 2020, right after he had officially announced his retirement from pro wrestling and said, call me Mark. And the internet lost its mind. Interesting. So that's that's what kayfabe is then. That's the, the embodiment of their, their character. Yes, kayfabe is the embodiment. It's who they're performing as, who you see on TV or in interviews on those occasions where they do it. Occasionally now on social media, you'll see wrestlers embracing kayfabe. Some of them are remarkably good at it. Now, getting back, linking to our previous podcast with a bit of an etymological discussion, kayfabe actually got its origin uh, in carnivals of all places when wrestling was still a traveling show. Oh, wow. Did not know that. Interesting. I'll give you both one guess on roughly the year that kayfabe really started to take off as a wrestling term. I would have to guess early 90s, late 80s. It's got to be Jimmy Snuka, uh, Ultimate Warrior, a lot of the extreme things. Because I think before that, they weren't quite as like dramatic in their characters. Well, and but you think about a lot of the wrestling stuff that we see from around the world, the the luchadors and and that kind of stuff. I, I'm actually I'm going to go way older. I'm going to say it, it's got to be early twentieth, right? Nineteen ten, nineteen twenty. Both of you, little off the mark, Eric. You were closest. It actually took off in the carnival scene 
in the 1980s, early 80s. Ah, okay. And the term was essentially messed up pig Latin because somebody was trying to say be fake without announcing to the crowd to be fake. So it became a term when those guys were traveling from state to state, show to show, performing at these carnivals, kayfabe was the character that they portrayed. So it's not so much... It's it's a it's a term to reference the character that you play. Then, so in the in the case of, of Mark Calloway, you have Mark, who's who's the actor, who's the athlete, and his kayfabe would be the Undertaker. Yeah, and it has a variety of uses. Of course, you know, as language is constantly evolving, you know, you have the various uses of the terms: maintain kayfabe, be in kayfabe. You know, kayfabe, so-and-so, in relation to their character. Uh, Again, started off as that kind of command from the guys, like, you know, eyes on, kayfabe, be fake. Which is a really, really important term, because that was maintained all the way into the early 2000s when the veil really started to come down. The veil on kayfabe dropped drastically when more and more people were bringing various electronic devices to wrestling shows, cameras, video recorders, obviously as exposure grew, kayfabe became much harder to maintain. So that veil was thinning. The reason there's so much fallout with Mark Calloway abandoning is because he embraced that character 100%. They're talking about the man that was the last of the old guard. No one has been around in the same length of time as The Undertaker has, so watching him drop that and say, call me Mark, was a big shock. Being who he was, also a pretty drastic influence on various other performers who went, well, Taker's not having to do kayfabe anymore, and he's still as big as he ever was. Because again, when you say Undertaker, pretty much everybody knows who you're talking about. So these new guards, they're like, well, if kayfabe's gone, I can perform on screen as my character, but outside of that, it's just okay to be me. So you mentioned that it the veil started dropping, and I like that term, the veil started dropping on kayfabe because of the prevalence of, of devices, like you know, recording at the matches, and so you couldn't run into The Undertaker at the grocery store anymore. We also saw kind of about the same time, a lot of professional wrestlers are starting to enter the big time actor scenes. You, you look at uh, Dave Batista doing acting. Uh, you look at John Cena is doing acting in a bunch of stuff now. Is that contributing? Uh, I, I love the fact that Eric just looked at us and waved his hand in front of his face like, you can't see me when all of our listeners, in fact, cannot see him. <laughs> exactly but if i'm not mistaken too doesn't wwe have an actual like movie either producing or something company because they made like wasn't the marine them and they just kept switching out the main actor to be different wwe stars and then there was a couple other movies too they put out if i'm not mistaken there were a couple of movies that they put out you're right was it wwe Marine, the Marine was. The Marine and its subsequent iterations uh, through various ones. John Cena, I 
believe Ted DiBiase Jr. was also uh, the Marine in one of them. Uh, another big one that WWE produced, it was a huge flop, was See No Evil with Kane. And that movie just absolutely bombed at the box office. I don't know if they're still producing movies, mostly because it's so hard to take them serious in acting chops. They're very good at what they do as a performer, especially on the stage that is WWE. You get into like actual acting. And you guys skipped over probably the largest actor or wrestler turned actor and skipped right over Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, yeah. I was missing the big one, Rocky. Just just real quick, how many of the Marines do you think they made? Oh, I gotta know this. You're looking it up. I'm gonna I gotta say six. Like it's gotta be a wildly high number. You are actually correct. It is six. And who do you think the last marine was Ooh, uh wait wait i can do this what year did it come out do we know hold on i'm i'm pulling it up as we speak 2018 2018 they had a marine okay let's see 2018 john cena was doing stuff for dc so it's not him the miz there it is it was the miz and it looks like also i don't know what role he played sean michaels was also in the marine six well i have close to, quarters i have to watch it now man sean michaels is the guy hbk maybe the heartbreak kid my favorite wrestler of all time i liked him better when he was part of the rockers with marty Jannetty, but i'll let it slide well Bro, and... how old are you <laughs> i mean I'm probably older than the two of you. I would, See, I that's would just wager. Not fair. You ain't got a gray hair on your head. This nothing, nothing in life is fair. You know, because I dye my hair. It's not wow. new information for wrestlers to jump onto the big screen either. I remember watching. Let's see, what was it? I want to say it was Three Ninjas, or one of the many sequels to Three Ninjas, that had Hulk Hogan himself in it. I don't know if he was in any of the three ninjas. I do distinctly recall him being in Suburban Commando, which was probably one of my favorite bad movies ever made. It ranks right up there with a lot of the stuff Bruce Campbell did early in his career. <laughs> the chin. Don't forget Rocky Three. Rocky Three. The that's little, that's little that's when he's throwing Rocky around, the little clip of him in there. Can you so, imagine some of these some of these wrestlers? We're looking at kayfabe, right? That's the that's the topic at hand. And you brought up Kane a minute ago in See No Evil. Now, the kayfabe process, whether you're using it as a noun or, or, or whatever, you, you embody your character whenever you're going to be seen. Um, and I imagine a lot of these ones that got really into it would have to have taken something of a cool-down period at home where, you know, I'm home for the weekend, but don't talk to me on Friday because on Friday I'm still... The Undertaker. I got to wake up Saturday morning and decide not to do that. Some of these would have been easier than others. You look at look at Hulk Hogan. And what I remember about Hogan, because I, I liked him. I loved watching him. I stopped because they, they turned him into a bad guy, if I remember correctly. He did have a... a he did have a brief stint as... A NWO. NWO, yeah. New World Order. Him, Kevin Nash, uh, Razor Ramon, X-Pac, 
eventually that, eventually that stable grew just obscenely large during the fall of WCW. That was actually one of the leading contributors for their ratings being so low. <laughs> well, so you look at that and, you know, Mark Calloway, I could, if I was in his position, I could, I could kind of do what he did. I think going to Walmart to pick up, you know, sodas and ice cream and you, you got the big coat on, you got the big hat on, you got the, the look, the, the walk, you know, and I think Hulk Hogan, because his his whole thing whenever I was watching him was he was really over the top. He was flamboyant. He was very dramatic, bright colors with the yellows and the oranges and the reds. And OK, that would be weird. That would be kind of wild. But I could do that. You look at Kane and that poor guy. Can you imagine Kane walking through Walgreens trying to get some cough syrup, holding it up to his mask like, does this have what I'm looking for? That would be rough. And some of these personas you see in the ring, that would be hard to maintain outside of it. The spookier your character, the harder it gets to maintain, obviously, because it needs to have that setup. You know, Undertaker had the lights that would dim on and off for his spooky stuff. Kane, of course, the pyrotechnics that shot up out of the ring. But you have ones now that are just so over the top, theatrically speaking. Bray Wyatt being one of them who does a fantastic job of avoiding the public eye just so he can maintain that kayfabe character on screen better his interactions with fans are always generally very positive he's a very upbeat very friendly very open and welcoming guy his character on tv is obviously this dark scary spooky wooky to steal a term from uh, disney i think was the one that used to do spooky wooky but oh i shouldn't say that too many times they'll come and shut the podcast yeah down. Yes, <laughs> and not openly licensed material. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I I like the use of of kayfabe when we start talking about how it impacts the life outside the ring. And oh, and just re- real quick, Hogan was in Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. High Noon, High noon at Mega Mountain. Obviously a cinematic masterpiece because all of us remembered that name as soon as Eric read it off the screen because I think all of us probably watched that at some point. Well, and that gets back to when I thought about it, you know, because I had a little bit of warning that professional wrestling was going to be the topic at hand tonight. I'm glad that you're opening it up with kayfabe because that is a fascinating topic to me. But when you say wrestling, my mind still jumps to my big three. You got The Undertaker, Mark Calloway. He's he's my favorite wrestler of all time, easily. Uh, it bums me out a little bit that he retired, but the guy's got to be mid-50s, you know, pushing 60 at this point. So here I am, not even quite 40 yet, and I, I don't even want to get off the couch anymore. I don't. I definitely don't want to be jumping around in a, in a ring getting thrown off the top of ladders, you know. Uh, then you think of Hulk Hogan. I enjoyed watching Hulk Hogan, but he was the one, at least at the time for me, that he made his name known. It's kind of like The Rock nowadays, right? Most people don't even realize that The Rock was a wrestler anymore. And he's done so many movies and so much good stuff. I love I love his movies. I love, I love watching him. And the other one for me, and this one this one's a little a little stranger, I I admit, but when I was a kid, and I was still wildly into wrestling i was at the store with my mom and i i couldn't even guess how old i was at this point but we were walking through 
And I looked up and I saw these huge, you know, huge at the time. They were probably three feet tall or so wrestling. I don't want to call them stuffed animals, but they were wrestling dolls, right? And they were, you know, just giant wrestler shaped pillows with the appropriate skin on them, so to speak. But I wanted one so bad. And of course she kept telling me, no, 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 you don't need anything like that. And my juvenile brain didn't realize that you have a birthday coming up in like a week. You dill like just take it and go. And I'm super happy because the one that I recall seeing in the store was Hulk Hogan. It's like, oh, I want a Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy. I don't, I don't remember what they were actually called. I want a Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy. But what my mom got me because she pays attention. I love you, mom was Jake the Snake Roberts. And I loved Jake the Snake. You want to talk about a guy that did not look like he should be able to do what he was able to do in that ring. Eric, I saw your eyes light up as soon as you said Jake the Snake Robert. Go ahead and let us rip. No, it just... Uh, he was alright. Like, he, he wasn't bad. Like, I enjoyed it when he was on. Like... There were so many just good people at the time, though. It's it's hard to pick, because like Hacksaw was out then, oh. Legion of Doom, um, you just you you had so many things, and there was so much more acting then than there is now. I think, like now now I think there's more finesse, and there's more, more like uh, there's more athleticism and stuff to it. There's a lot more of that. Um, but I think there's a lot less of like the the kayfabe or what, whatever that word is. You guys keep saying that I'm not smart enough to know. <laughs> I mean, moving into the yeah, athleticism in professional wrestling now is off the charts. You look at uh, some of the big names right now internationally. Will Osprey has done nothing but fantastic work. If you any of you listeners have an opportunity, look at the work that he and a man named Ricochet did in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Absolutely insane on the level of athleticism. But the athleticism wasn't always necessarily the focus in the Undertaker era, so to speak, with those guys like Ted DiBiase and... Oh, you had the Funks still wrestling Mankind, Stone Cold, The Rock. It was the character. And part of that was whether or not you were a heel or a face, which are two wrestling terms. I'll give you a quick definition for both. Heel is the bad guy. That's the person you want to boo. They're there to elicit a negative response from you. And then you have the faces, which is short for baby face, of this like fresh-faced, very naive hero triumphing over evil that like, oh, shucks, I'm sure I'm going to try my hardest, mister. That kind of baby face. Oh, okay, okay. And so just well, quickly that... to, to go into it, the origins of both of those, heel theatrical term. Ryan, I thought this one would would tickle a, your fancy as far as your interest is for the history of vocabulary. Absolutely. Theater term from 1914 that got picked up by professional wrestling. It means a cur, someone of unscrupulous character, not necessarily always a villain, but someone whose moral compass didn't always stay true. Your term face actually didn't get started until the 1990s of all things when wrestling became very relevant on TV. How they went so long without having a term for the good guy 
baffles me. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. You're talking nearly 100 years without a term for a good guy. Wild. Well, and this leads me in with the, with the, the whole talk of, of kayfabe and characters being good guys or bad guys. There's such an amazing history of, of stage combat, so to speak, right? And that's, that's effectively what wrestling is, is stage combat. And we talked about it a little bit last episode with the mentality and the reason people go to see and you know who you're supporting and whose shirt you're wearing and everybody's cheering and it's fantastic. I've watched some of the videos of the, the big matches, the ones they, uh, and Travis, help me out here, it's title matches, right? Yeah, anytime uh, like a belt of some kind is on the line, you know, WWF, WWE, IWGP, Ring of Honor, all those places, again, hundreds of companies out there right now doing professional wrestling, which is why I always argue that it's the best it's ever been, just because you have so much exposure currently. All of them have some type of title. Do you really think it's the best it's ever been, though? Like, I'm going to be very honest with you. It's super awesome, the athleticism and everything that goes into it, and I think that's cool, but I miss better storylines the better acting like i get everybody's take athleticism looks cool and it's flashy but like hacksaw jim duggan that dude was amazing like the way he played his character and threw that two by four the bushwhackers like none of them were were the pinnacle of physical fitness sorry if any of you are alive and listening to this you are way more athletic than me, but no offense compared to what they look like today. They just, they're not the pinnacle of, of athleticism, but I just, I think wrestling was better when it was more focused on the, on the kayfabe aspect, the being a character, the playing a character, the, the, the less worried about jumping 10 feet off the ropes and going through six tables, 12 people and whatever else they do. I just, it's just me. The, the storytelling. Eric's a big, big storytelling guy. Being an ST and DM for some of your groups and as into tabletops as you are, I'm not surprised. That is actually making a pretty drastic comeback. Now, it's been a slow turn. Part of the problem was for the longest time, uh, a single individual cornered most of the market for professional wrestling. Whether you love him or hate him, which most people are falling into the hate category as time moves on, is Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. You had one opportunity to be a star or you were going to get shuffled. If you fit the bill of what he liked, he would build something up for you. And if you didn't get that five-star rating first rattle out of the box, you'd get shuffled off. So storytelling became secondary. Everybody was trying to shoot for that five-star review match. So storytelling became secondary as long as you fit what Vince perceived as a professional wrestler, which is why WWE became known as the Land of the Giants, because you had to be at least 6'6". You had to be pushing 300 pounds. Couldn't have an ounce of body fat on you. For a brief time, the more steroids you did, the better. But that court case has already been settled. Yeah. <laughs> brief. Let's, let's be honest. Brief. Lex Luthor, God rest. And you start looking at some of the ones that, that were super popular 
and you can see vestiges for when they made their debuts, right? And so you look at you look at Jake the Snake Roberts. I love Jake the Snake. He was awesome. Um, <clears throat> and I had to look it up just to be sure. But he debuted in 1974. And you look at some of his debut pictures, and he's a he's a big guy. You know, he he built in at 249. He's he's a big guy. And he had the best 1970s movie mustache ever. It is so wild. And it made me start thinking about that whole era. You know, when you go from the 70s and through the 80s, Hulk Hogan debuted in 77, you know, Jake Snake in 74. And then you look at The Undertaker, who debuted in 1987. Before Undertaker, it was the land of the mustache. <laughs> Obviously, that was the sign of manliness at the time. You had to have a mustache to be a dude, you know, especially when you were being a professional wrestler. You had to embody all of those characteristics. You had to front the appearance of being able to oh, do absolutely. all these crazy feats of strength that went into that. Now, I, I do have a question, and this is this is something I know very little about. When it comes to Vince McMahon, now I was under the you know I, I was understanding that Vince McMahon was almost a kayfabe into himself. He played a character in the show, and had set set it up where he was playing this this super sleazy businessman, throw your money around kind of character. Does he actually have that much influence and power over the setting right now? Right now, no. He has left WWE in shame. There's been a series of scandals, which I will not get into in this particular podcast, as it doesn't directly pertain to the topic, but he has actually left. Uh, before that, he still made a handful of appearances as this corporate bigwig evil character, uh, which came about from a particular incident that happened. Again, one of those areas where kayfabe became very thin into reality. And I'll bring it up now because we knew with kayfabe that this would get brought up. And that is the Montreal screw job between Shawn Michaels, my absolute favorite, and the best there ever was and ever will be, Brett the Hitman Hart, a fellow Canadian with Eric, who set up a series of dynasties throughout his entire professional wrestling career. Well, and I saw... I saw Eric nodding his head, so he understood what you were talking about. But, but what happened? What was the what was the job? So Brett was set to drop the title to Shawn Michaels because the backstage politicking had come into it. Shawn Michaels was in favor of Vince McMahon. Vince wanted the title around Shawn's waist, not Brett's. Brett did not want to drop it at that particular show. He's not that he was unwilling to pass the title along, he was unwilling to do it in the manner that had been proposed. There was still quite a bit of influence that professional wrestlers had over their character. He felt that what was being set up didn't meet what he wanted for his particular character. Sean and Vince disagreed. They got with the referee. The referee called the match early, even when it didn't need to be. Shawn Michaels becomes the new champion. Brett obviously left in anger after being what he felt was betrayed, which he was made a series of comments about Vince McMahon's character of being this like only caring about the money guy. And so those 
intersections of reality and kayfabe in professional wrestling, which always lead to the best storylines and some of the best character work of all time, led to the visual appearance of Vincent Kennedy McMahon, who was the sleazy corporate bigwig guy who was out there pulling all the strings and making these professional wrestlers dance to his little marionette work. So yes, there is some intersection between reality and kayfabe in that regard with the character of Vince McMahon. Well, and that's where you talk about the reality of it. This started coming up when we were in college. So you're talking 06, 07, 08. We could go and we could be hanging out with our friends and professional wrestling became a very strange topic, right? You know, you couldn't really bring it up because it was catching a lot of, it's not cool anymore, flack. The NWO had made a big run and was doing its thing. And a lot of people started dropping out of the fandom. And I remember having a conversation, and I think y'all both heard me talk about this before, but I had a conversation in college where in the same breath, I was talking to a guy and he told me he didn't like watching wrestling anymore. Didn't like watching professional wrestling anymore because it was all fake. None of it was real and it was all scripted. And then he would turn right around and start talking about this awesome new anime that he was in love with, with, with the superheroes and the magic and, and all this kind of stuff. And it blew my mind that he could suspend his disbelief for flying kung fu anime characters that could throw magic spells around, but had a hard time watching, in my opinion, some of the best displays of athleticism in, through the 2000s that you could see up on the stage to the point where it blew my mind they were able to do it. And I realized that they've learned how to do it and learned ways to, to make it look like this. But The Undertaker's six foot ten. He built in at 309 pounds. And I've seen people pick him up and throw him. I don't know how you pull that off, but that's amazing. And yeah, so it's scripted and, and it's it's fake, heavy air quotes. But watching what these guys were able to do and how fast they could move and how high they could jump, combined with, like Eric said earlier, really good storytelling through the 90s and the early 2000s, that was amazing. That's that's the whole event to me. That's kayfabe, right? Yeah, the development of that character is definitely a kayfabe. You have those guys that lean on the athleticism as part of their character. John Cena was one of those guys that really heavily leaned on his athleticism. But ended up... Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero is another good one. He, yeah, he did did rely on that, that athleticism fantastic heel by the way his heel work top tier anytime they tried to make that man a baby face was just probably some of the worst storylines he's been in there's been a few occasions where i bought eddie guerrero as the baby face and not the dastardly heel you get those guys that really get pigeonholed into those characters and some of them just run away with it and then you have guys called tweeners which is a term that gets used in various forms tweeners not meaning preteens but in fact meaning someone who floats in between and probably one of the most popular wrestlers of the 90s was a tweener and that any guesses uh see 90s triple h Uh, oh not triple h i thought i had that one okay no i mean i i would guess the rock did it quite a bit 
Ooh. Guys are missing Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin oh, 316. Yes. Yep. Stone that Cold. Man behaved as a heel in every single outing. He was craftier than anybody he was going against. He was tougher than anybody he was going against. And he would use the rules to his advantage in any situation. Heel or face, it didn't matter. That persona stayed the same. Stone Cold was just going to go out there and, to quote him, stomp a mud hole in you and then stomp it dry. <laughs> well, and Absolute favorite wrestler. Stone Cold, really excellent. Yeah, he's, Him or Hogan? He's cool. I, I love Hulk Hogan, but I have a soft spot for the ones that were really out there, right? And you're talking Hogan. Uh, hold on, let me look at his stats here. So he was six foot seven, and he built it 302 pounds. That is a monster of a guy. Python arms. Yeah. Python arms. And I loved him. I loved watching him. And you get some of them that get their their persona, their kayfabe, their their character. And you can tell right away. You look at Kane. We talked about Kane earlier. There's no way Kane's ever going to come out and be a good guy. And I could be wrong about that. I don't actually know. You look at Sting. Uh, I think that was his name. Had, did the scorpion, had the black and white face paint. Yeah, Sting. I can't see him being coming out as a good guy. Almost exclusively a baby face. No kidding. His entire career, yeah, almost exclusive. They would put him up against these like insurmountable odds, uh, just because he had probably one of the best no sell reactions in professional wrestling. So of course you had like Undertaker and Kane doing that deal where they would sit up from the mat like they were rising out of a coffin, you know, that corpse that sits up in the horror movies was their their shtick. Sting would just no-sell a huge move. You'd bust him through a table and he'd pop up, beat his chest real big like a gorilla, and shout at you and then would give you one of his signature moves. So yeah, Sting, almost exclusively a babyface for the majority of his career. I did not realize that. That's interesting. Okay. But he was. it's because he was like a dark, darker character, even though he was... Like, he was almost like the Batman for WCW in a sense, like oh, he had a lot cool. of dark tendencies and things like that. Um, he also was like, if I'm not mistaken, his original popularity was around the same time as the crow movie that came out too. Gotcha. Um, okay. Okay. Directly influenced his, uh, his face paint in that regard was the movie, the crow. Yeah. I remember there was something about it. Like when he got really big, like, um, not that he, he based it, like I was going to say his character off of that, but, I had heard that like some of some of his choices was based off the movie and like I did notice the popularity started going up. I mean, he was popular from day one, like coming off. You'd see and they shine the spotlight up top, like in the rafters and there's sting. Still a shtick that he embraces. He's currently signed with all elite wrestling as again, sting since he owns the right to his name, which, by the way, if there's any up and coming professional wrestlers out there, whatever you do. Keep your trademark active for your name. It belongs to you. Don't let other wrestling companies own it. But if that's the only way you can get famous, you do what you got to do. Unfortunately. All right. So I went ahead and I had to look it up because I had to know. This is the part that, that blows my mind. Now, when I remember watching Sting, he had the leather jacket, the baseball bat, the black and white face paint. But when you saw him in the ring, he was kind of a smaller character, right? Like he, he was a little short, he was a little skinnier 
and he had that scrappiness to him. And I remember thinking that as a kid. And now I go ahead and look at it. He's six foot two, and he bills at 250 pounds. That gives you an idea of the titans that are in the ring and how big they are. It's like looking at professional football anymore. Everybody out on the field is over six feet, you know, huge guys. And so they look kind of small. And then if I went and stood next to them, they'd, they'd have a full head <laughs> over me. That leads directly into real life Vince making professional wrestling the land of the Giants, where if you weren't at least 6'6", you weren't going to make it. You still had those guys. Rey Mysterio, perfect example. Five foot ten inches tall, has been a two or three time world champion, if I remember correctly, has held a variety of titles throughout his career, is still again wrestling. He's working now to push his son upward in the company, which is something I can really commend that he's managed to stay in professional wrestling long enough and to stay athletic enough, given his style, to be able to to push a child into the, the forefront, which is absolutely amazing. I thought it was pretty cool, like, with him that even in the beginning of his career, they almost blatantly said in the show, like, he wasn't a, like, a, a world champion because of his size. He was more of the cruiser and and the tag team whenever he tagged with somebody. Never never was really considered in the beginning. And it's crazy because the show itself, that, like, the announcers would talk about that, if I remember right. That is crazy to me. Yeah. And if you were a fan of the storytelling, I will say getting getting into the more modern era of kayfabe and professional wrestling, long-term storytelling is back, baby. They are out there telling stories one week to the next actually leads into one another. Wrestlers are having fantastic interactions with one another because they are referencing things that they have actually done in the past. For the longest time, you stayed on this very narrow track and you only said what was scripted to you. Now wrestlers are allowed to improvise, which is leading to that storytelling. It's leading to that character building that we all loved through the 90s. Just to throw it back to a, an action that Eric took not too long ago, throwing up the X over the top of his head, talking about Degeneration X. Probably one of the most iconic stables of all time behind the Four Horsemen and NWO. You really got to... We really got to give it props to Degeneration X. Those guys were innovators in a time when wrestling innovation was at a low and brought it in where that fast-paced style, that heavy athleticism played into the story just as much as your character building, which was fantastic. Well, they were you saw them just as much off the off the mat as you did on the mat. And that's what I mean by saying like I I get it like athleticism is so great today and like they are doing stuff that is just amazing with their 12 packs and stuff. But like at the end of the day, man, if, if you're giving me something to watch, I'm watching like where, where Hogan lost the belt to the undertaker way back when for the first time, like I'm watching those, I'm watching the ultimate warrior run down, like all crazy shaking, like he's having a seizure, just going nuts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm watching those things. It's not as cool. Cause they don't high fly as much, but just the storytelling like, I feel the more they got away from it that's when people started having a problem with if it's real or like if people are winning and losing like it's it's choreographed and things like that when 
when you got really away from the storyline, I, I felt like that's when it started coming out. Like, I can't watch this. It's all scripted. That storytelling is making a big comeback. I refer to it now, and Ryan's heard me say this on numerous occasions, as redneck anime. And I believe he was directly <laughs> alluding to that with his analogy to anime with his, his interaction with one of his other friends. But it is. Essentially, you look at it, and it breaks down the exact same way that those action animes do. You have your character who's attempting to triumph over evil, and they have to power up and dig deep, and they rely upon their moral character, and then eventually they triumph over the bad guy. Or in some cases, especially with more modern anime, they don't. One of the best storylines in professional wrestling of 2022 was Hangman Adam Page, who, again, embracing kayfabe, one of those modern-era guys that doesn't let it go. The character you see in his interactions outside of the wrestling company directly coincide with what he's doing in the ring. One of those guys that really still embraces that old school style. And the entire storyline is that he came back off of injury. He was never expected to win. He was supposed to just be a washout, just a flash in the pan and then gone. Came up to challenge for the title and everyone was just sure that he would win. And he took a heavy move from a guy and the ref counted one and then two and then three. And the crowd, again, with this storytelling, so expected him to just kick out that there was silence. And you see that very rarely in professional wrestling where there's just zero reaction from the crowd because everybody was just stunned. The entire story built on how he was triumphing against adversity. And in the end, he failed. So you get that curveball, you get that little taste of reality to go with your kayfabe. Well, and that's that's an interesting part when it comes to storytelling, and this is this, this is the I have to digest this every day while I sit down and I work on the on the next the next piece and that kind of thing is is narrative promise and that's something that it took me a long time to learn how to do and how to handle. Right. And I'm not even going to say, I know how to handle it right as of now, but you know, you set up to tell a story and your first page is this incredibly heartbreaking and dramatic tale of a guy that was trying to protect his family and ultimately failed. And he, his family was killed by the big bad guy. And he later on became so distraught that he loses himself to the darkness and gives birth to this supernatural element in the, in the book. It feels really weird later. If your story is the plucky adventures of an ogre and his talking donkey. And <laughs> I imagine that's, that's a risk. That's a major narrative risk in, in wrestling to take an underdog story, which who doesn't love an underdog story? Who doesn't love hearing, of the nobody Cinderella coming up and, and capturing the goal, but to make a choice where they ultimately fail, you know, they fall that I, I got to respect that because it does, it, it throws a twist, throws a curveball, it breaks the norm. You know, we were talking about stage combat. You know, we brought that up earlier. It, stage combat's got a huge history. Sometimes it's a little more visceral or darker than others. You look at gladiatorial combat or, you know, mock Navy battles all the way to the Kabuki theater and, and stage combat in, in Japan. And that leads us into the whole origin of the iconic ninja and, and all this stuff. 
And I got to respect somebody, just like in Kabuki Theater, just whatever, where they will set you up expecting a success. And then you have to watch the hero fail. I got nothing but love for that. You said that story, that was The Hangman? Hangman Adam Page, the cowboy, has one of the best chants in professional wrestling right now. I absolutely love it. I watch it on TV, and it even gets me fired up when they start to chant for it, because everybody just chants cowboy shit. And I get super into it as soon as that chant starts. <laughs> I can't explain it. I don't know if it brings up to my roots of being an FFA kid, hanging out with all those cowboys. But as soon as that chant starts, I'm, I'm off the couch. My wife's looking at me like I'm going psycho. The dogs are also excited with me because they're huge Hangman Adam Page fans as well. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm excited for them or if they're big fans. But whatever. Obviously, just big fans. <laughs> yeah, we're just having a huge party, jumping up and down on the couch as the crowd chants cowboy shit. Hangman Adam Page, interesting. G- give him a look up. Pretty, yeah, I, I pretty solid athlete. His, good storytelling. Pulled up some of his stats here. It looks like he debuted in 2008. So, like you said, modern modern era. Uh, Bill weight at 228 pounds at six foot black. A little guy, comparatively. Yeah, they're they're leaning further and further away from that land of the giants, just uh, because it's so broad. The things that you can do in that ring, you know, you have your power style, you have your your fast, your speed guys. But a lot of the time, people are just looking for again, like Eric, they're looking for that interesting story. They want to know why last week was important to this week, and why next week is also going to be important which is something that's getting brought back up. You know, ratings obviously dipped in professional wrestling for a long time because that storytelling wasn't there. They had those very traditional cut and dry, obviously scripted promos. They weren't letting wrestlers be who they were. The perfect example of somebody who actually is embracing kayfabe again, now that they've had a little bit of change of venue, is Samoa Joe. Again, has been wrestling for a very long time. The guy has been around the block a few times. Samoa Joe got his start on the indie scene. Now currently, I believe, a Ring of Honor and AEW champion of some kind, if I remember correctly. I believe it's a TNT title. Not to get into too many specifics about him. But yeah, now that he's just given free reign with his character and can kind of cut his own promos, gives a little bit of a looser reign. Embracing that kayfabe again. He's making faces at children in the crowd because he's one of the bad guys right now. Same company, again, with the embracing of kayfabe is Maxwell Jacob Friedman. If Undertaker was the epitome of kayfabe from the 80s to the early 2000s, MJF has taken that ball and absolutely ran with it. This is a man who has told children at signing events to fuck off because it maintains his character. Interesting. Well, and this makes me think, so I I have two little girls. Y'all, y'all know that I have two little girls and one of their favorite television programs that they like to watch on the regular ask for it all the time is one called Steven universe. And I have to admit, this is, I'm okay with this. It's a very interesting story. I really like watching it. But there is an episode where the main character and one of his friends decide to join a local 
wrestling group, right? And so they're they're out there performing in this wrestling ring as heavy air quotes volunteers, and it's done very mid '90s style, right? Where you could find wrestling rings in backyards and and kids getting injured with the theatrics, and it pertains directly to to kayfabe, where the main character starts really emotionally struggling again because it's a kid show. He's emotionally struggling with becoming and playing a bad guy. His character on that one was kind of actually it feels very Vince McMahony where he could he could throw money at problems and make them go away and bribe opponents to leave the ring or not compete for for the belt. And it starts really bothering him because he can't separate it. He has a hard time with the fans who loved him and thought he was the best and loved his character really getting heartbroken because, you know, he won't sign autographs or he buys all of the soda from the concession stand and dumps it on the ground next to the stage. So that everybody has to go thirsty. And I, I'm, I, you, you would imagine it's gotta be like that with, you know, professional wrestling where sometimes it's got to be hard to step out of your character, especially right after a match. You know, the, those character buildings, it comes, by the time you hit the professional stage, there's been a lot of practice. You've had that introduction, so to speak, into your characters. Because a lot of the things that happen in the professional wrestling stage mirror what has happened on the indie scene as somebody was coming up. In the same way that actors, when they're cutting their teeth, are taking parts that fit easier, characters that they can relate with a little better, roles that they fall into more naturally. And that, of course, bleeds over when they become big, when they start making these multi-million dollar like blockbuster things, where they start to fit the bill where they start to like really, I don't want to say typecast because that's not always necessarily the case, but they have a very set persona. They have very different roles that they fit into very well. Of course, you know, kayfabe being one of those things, you have some characters that obviously make great faces. Some of obviously make great heels. So as we come to the close of our episode, I'm just going to ask you guys one more question. And I want to hear what uh, both of you guys' absolute favorite wrestling moment, whether it was WCW, WWE, IWGP, New Japan Pro Wrestling, AEW, whatever. Whatever it is that tickled your fancy at the time, at the height of your wrestling love. So, Eric, what was your absolute favorite wrestling moment of all time? Which is going to be bad because I can't remember exactly which one it was, like what event. But like the first time, the Ultimate Warrior... And Hogan went at it. That was like, it was huge to see that because they were they were such different people, but at the same time they were similar. So they both had a way to get the crowd involved and things like that. And if I'm not mistaken, the first time they fought, um, Hogan was the senior, and the Warrior was was rather new to wrestling. He wasn't he hadn't been around very long yet and kind of got an opportunity early in his career um but yeah just like watching those two go out at it the first time um i think i don't know if it was a SummerSlam or like i don't remember what it was but like just watching them go at it getting the crowd into it both of them being so good at it man 
Dude, it was epic. I have, in fact, seen that match, and like you, I can't remember exactly where it was. You're leaning towards SummerSlam. I'm leaning more towards a WrestleMania that feels like a WrestleMania event. Oh, that's what I was thinking. See, I haven't watched wrestling in so long. I was like trying to pull the names of the main events from my. I'm like, I know it wasn't a Royal Rumble. I know Survivor wasn't even around at that stage. I was like, man, what's the older? Uh, WrestleMania six. WrestleMania six. Yeah, one of the very early WrestleManias. That was before I think WWE had a or WWF at the time. I should say had a a syndicated TV spot. I think they were still on late night cable at that point honestly i can't remember before raw like i know there was wrestling before raw but raw was so good the way it came and it hit so hard from day one like i truly can't remember how i watched wrestling before raw i know i did i just don't know how i'm in the same boat as you i i can't remember a wrestling time before raw on the USA network in the early, I would say early nineties is when that debuted, I believe 93, somebody, somebody fact checked me and, and send us a, a comment on January 11th, 1993. I'm just 93. Nice. I am on fire with the wrestling trivia tonight. Loving it. <laughs> uh, as far as mine goes, it, obviously I've already said my favorite wrestler is, is the undertaker and he always will be. I haven't seen anybody even get close but you have a lot of really good Undertaker moments. You're talking WrestleMania 24 um, for Edge of the World Heavyweight Championship. But my favorite moment in wrestling had to be, it was late 90s. I'm going to say 98, 99, when the big feud between Undertaker and Kane was at its at its height. And it was the first time that they had swapped up the Undertaker's entrance music. He got the blue lights and where you saw, you know, when he would turn and simply say, rest in peace. And I'm going to remember that forever, that feud between Kane and the Undertaker and the use of, of his catchphrase of rest in peace is probably my favorite moment. And it wasn't even this spectacular athletic moment, right? It was just such a perfect undertaker moment and i remember listening to him turn to kane across the ropes and he pointed and he said rest in peace and the crowd lost it just absolute bedlam all over the arena it was it was wonderful that's got to be my favorite moment in history in wrestling history you gotta love those big crowd pop moments man i do i will say athleticism and some of the storytelling of modern wrestling is absolutely fantastic. In some ways it does exceed the, the late eighties, early nineties era of the storytelling and wrestling. But I do miss those, those one liners just to get off of my own little tangent. You have very few people who can just maintain a catchphrase like those guys could the rock undertaker stone cold Kurt angle. All these guys could just really just bust out a one liner and really make it work. So to get into my absolute favorite wrestling match or moment of all time, I got to go with my favorite tag team of all time going against two of the most iconic people in wrestling history. And that's Mick Foley, who at the time was going with his persona of Cactus Jack, teaming up with 
I believe it was Dory Funk, not Terry Funk, as Chainsaw Charlie, who happened to be one of my dad's favorite professional wrestlers of all time, is the Funks. If you guys haven't had a chance to check out some of the stuff that they did very early on, I suggest to get on YouTube, check out some of the crazy things that the Funks got up to. Chain matches, dog collar matches, barbed wire wrapped baseball bats, wild stuff from the Funks. But they were going up against the New Age Outlaws, who will forever hold a spot in my heart as the absolute most iconic tag team of all time. My best friend and I both, before we even knew each other, huge fan of the New Age Outlaws. So I've got to go WrestleMania. I believe it was 14, 15, somewhere around there. Chainsaw Charlie, Cactus Jack, Mick Foley going up against the New Age Outlaws in a dumpster match. Absolutely absolutely my favorite match of all time uh, yeah that's solid so thank you for joining us on this journey through kayfabe and a little brief history of professional wrestling and what that means to all of us i believe eric has some more information for you guys i, I do want to make a correction so lex luger is still around i was incorrect um i was thinking of benoit sorry both mm-hmm. two big dudes um I I hate saying I thought their characters were similar because they weren't really, um, but they were both just big, and I just wasn't thinking as I talked. Like I said, I haven't watched wrestling in a while, but I did want to throw that out before we ended the episode, so um, I didn't look too noob as I was talking um, with people getting after me. So, like, um, And that's the whole point of the show, right? None of us are, are true experts. We're all here to learn and to explore and, and touch base on on sometimes forgotten or left behind subjects and just be great, big, excited geeks, nerds, and or dorks about the things that really get our passions going. Yeah. Absolutely. Drawing us into a close guys. Don't forget to go out, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. We are on Twitter. I don't know if we're on Instagram yet. Eric, do we have an Instagram handle yet? Yeah. What's our handles there, Eric? All right, so if you're looking, if you're looking at Facebook, obviously Facebook groups, uh, we're straight heroes of the nerdverse right now because um, we fall under the brand. Um, when you start looking at Twit, Twitter, the tweets, um, ours for this particular podcast is at capital CTN underscore podcast. Um, that's where you can reach the three of us really easy. Um, we're building a following, so of course, it'll be very easy if any of you want to get in touch with us. There won't, there won't be a big delay. Um, Instagram, we're still working on that. Um, there is a Heroes of the Nerdverse, but um, I'm not too hip to the Instagram. Um, we don't do a lot of photos and videos and things like that right now. Um, that's something we're going to look into. I'm um, just like the YouTube and and, and the um, the Twitch itself. Like we'll continue to grow. Most of, most of the stuff right now is Heroes of the Nerdverse, um, if you're looking for stuff. And we'll, we'll keep putting stuff there, too, so we can kind of make sure that we hit as many of you nerd folk out there as humanly possible, um, spreading the news and stuff like that. Absolutely. And that, that is, that's the brand that we fall under, guys. Heroes of the Nerdverse, they, they are awesome. They got a really good setup. Give them a follow. Give them a look. Check them out on Facebook. Check them out on Twitter. 
And you know what? Check them out on YouTube. There's going to be a lot of videos coming up here pretty quick. It's going to, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited to see everybody come and join us for that. I look forward to it as well. Thank you for joining us in our brief journey through kayfabe. We will catch you next time. See you guys.